Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? How's the week going for you? Ooh, hanging in there? <sighs> just a little moment to remind y'all to uh, just pause. Check in with yourself. How are we feeling? Where in our bodies are we feeling it? Let's just connect how deeply are we breathing remember the depth of your breath whether shallow and short and quick or full and slow and deep speaks to where we are emotionally our breath is always going to be a good barometer for where we are emotionally and where our bodies are our nervous system and it's also as always one of the most powerful ways that we can soothe ourselves so check in on that if you're not breathing slowly and deeply well then you are aroused. Now we don't mean that in an erotic way. Arousal means hyper activated. It means you are living a little bit more in your sympathetic nervous system, which is more of the fight or flight. So you're maybe stressed or overwhelmed or upset or frustrated or in the middle of an argument with someone. We're just breathing deeply, deeply into our bodies, holding it, right? And that slows down our nervous system. That brings us back into our rational thinking. When our breathing is short or shallow, we again are not in our more regulated brain. So we're breathing to center ourselves. I have to do that throughout the day. Letting my breath remind me of where I'm at, but also being a really powerful tool to uh, work with ourselves. So I was talking about this earlier in the week, how I was reading this article on silence and I wanted to talk about it. It was... It was impactful for me because I'm someone who talks a lot. You know, is that my personality style or is that really driven by the work I do? Eh, Depends, a little bit of both, right? As a therapist, there's a lot of talking, hosting a radio show is a lot of talking. And I do a lot of other media, which involves a lot of talking. Sometimes I'm like, can I do something? Can I just model? (laughs) Can I do something athletic or uh, focus more on my creative side? But um, silence is important and it's very cultural. There are other cultures, imagine that. Imagine that, there are worlds outside of the Western American (laughs) cultural norms and values, right? There's a lot more outside of that. So in America, we are big fans of extroversion, so much so that we really pathologize people that are quieter, more introverted. We think that there's something wrong with that. We really do shame shyness. We do want people to be assertive and putting themselves up by their bootstraps and be a man, be an adult. And all these things really speak to a lot of extroversion and assertion and independence. Well, that's us. That's not the right way. That's how we've tended to see things. But there's other cultures and they do it very differently. There's other cultures that value being quieter, more low key, more introspective, more community driven. I think there's a beauty in that. A lot of people think Americans are actually obnoxious. I think we are as well. I think there's a lot of 
entitlement. And that's why I'm always pushing back on all this stuff, working on myself, self-esteem, self-improvement. Oh, there's enough self. We need to be working on our relational community-minded selves. We need uh, relational improvement, community improvement, relational esteem, community esteem. How do you feel about the communities you're a part of? Can you make it better as a part of maintaining some of the problems? There's enough darn self. We don't need any more extroversion. Shoot, we have TV shows where we glamorize people that tell it like it is and don't have a filter, which AKA means I have no empathies, I have no boundaries, I have poor impulse control, I don't think relationally, I'm narcissistic and self-centered. That's what it means when someone has no filter and tells it like it is. That is not a sign of mental health, but in our culture, we really value that and we give those people TV shows. There's franchises of TV shows where we just put very outgoing, obnoxious, cruel people that's the center point, and that normalizes it for us. It keeps it familiar. It, it makes some people think that that's the way it should be. It makes some people think that that's how you build a career. And in some ways, they're right. You don't get a television show or a big media following for being soft and quiet and gentle. You just don't, and I hate that. Uh, it's interesting when I used to interview a lot of celebrities and, and socialize with some that I never knew who these people were because I don't value the kind of projects that they tend to do. The, the, film that I, the films that I like, the books that I like, the people that I see as mentors, the musicians I like, tend to be smaller, populated with their following and softer and kinder and just it's not popular stuff. And then when I look at what is popular, it's you know in your face and extroverted and loud and often harsh and has some cruelty sometimes. and. Yes, I, I watch some of these talk show hosts like Wendy Williams who just make their name on putting people down and mocking people. She mocked a friend of mine's death, someone who's in the public figure. She's mocked people with different abilities. It's, it's sad to me. And so when I read this article about silence, I thought there was so much in it because it's more than just being quiet and what that can do for you. I think that being quiet and silence is reflection, it's meditation, it's introspection. It's how we be better people, but more importantly, it's how we be better partners to our loved ones, our friends, our, our family, the world, our community. So I love things that point us in that way. And that's what my work is always rooted in, you know, looking at the larger impacts of what it is we're doing. Even uh, I was watching a big news story this morning on climate change and they were just talking about what our plans are and I just kept thinking, we're still going for the drops in a bucket. You know, turn off your lights when you're not using it, shorter showers, those are drops in the bucket. We should be going after the larger industries that really have negative impacts on the environment and the climate, but we don't because they make, it's about money, it's about power. We don't go after companies like Pepsi, who, you know, and their bottling sources and the amount of water and the devastation that bottled water does to those local springs and areas, locally devastate it. You know, animal factory farming industry is so detrimental to our planet and the environment, you know? All right, we're gonna take a little break. When we come back, we're gonna talk about silence, what it can do for us, but more importantly, what it can do for others. So stick around, you're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, 
celebrity interviews, or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast oh we are back we are talking about silence i was trying to broaden the scope of what we're talking about we're going to start by just talking about the benefits for us of silence which is something (laughs) (laughs) something that's forced into my life. I don't know what you all do for work, but my job is a lot of talking. I don't, you know, therapy, therapy can be a lot of listening. It's also a lot of talking as well. Uh, for me, it's very relational. It's very interactive. There's a lot of unlearning. There's a lot of coaching. There's deeper introspection. There's developmental work, personality and characterological reorganization. So there's a lot of talking. I'm highly involved in the work I do. And of course, doing this radio show, talk, 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 talk. So at the end of the day, I very much <laughs> value silence. I think if that's only because it lets me just give my, my, my body a break, my brain, my throat, my nervous system. But there's also bigger, deeper, positive benefits to it. And I wanted to talk about that. And I was also just trying to say in our last segment that it's very cultural. Some cultures value silence, others don't. Some prioritize it more, others really see it as a pathologization. And here in America, we see introversion, solitude, shyness as something to overcome as opposed to something to value. Um, It surprises some people when I say this, I'm a very introverted extrovert. I can perform extroversion when I have to be out in public for work, but when I'm not on the clock, I can also be very quiet and I just listen and I just watch. Um, There's a lot more to it, but that's there. So let's talk about it. So some of the solid reasons to spend more time in solitude, of course, these are not necessarily going to be all emotional and psychological. Let's talk about that first for a second. That's when we're introspective. Yes, talking through things is very helpful. I'm such a proponent of that. You know, talking to a friend, 
is often not about them providing a solution. It's about their presence, helping create a safe container for you to work through something in front of them. And then their presence and witnessing of it is what really, really makes it more penetrative and transformative. There is something about that. But then there's also ways we can sit in silence with ourselves. And that can be through reading, inspiring things where we're learning and we're working with what's being brought up. There's also journaling, which I think is very powerful for a lot of people because it's a physicality. There's an activity to it and that can engage different parts of our brain and processing. And just like sharing something with a friend, you take it to a new place. You, you go deeper versus just spouting off headlines or sound bites. You're really working through and opening up. And then depth psychology and a lot of Jungian and archetypal psychology really gives us tools like active imagination where you essentially dream while awake, you know, you're while awake, you're imagining a conversation with this person, or you're imagining a conversation you wish you had, or you will have, or you're talking it through with yourself, or you're envisioning a process. And that's also a way to work through it's using different parts of our brain and our psyche. And that's very powerful. Also bringing in the arts. I think there's something awesome about that. I, I'm not a trained art therapist. I, I would love to learn more about that. I'm not a trained music therapist. I'd love to learn more about that. But Santre therapy, which is a tool of Jungian therapists, is great for adults and children where you use figures and, and imagination to work through. I think drawing through an issue or drawing an issue, dancing it, listening to music as a way to bring you into it in a different way or letting it be something that creates a safe environment to soothe you to then begin some of this work, all of these things matter. And often the goal isn't about solution as much as it's just being with the problem differently. You know, a lot of issues don't get resolved. You know, Jung and a lot of Jungians will sometimes say that it's really not about resolving a lot of these issues. It's about transcending them, being above them and beyond them, not, not letting them be issues anymore. There's an acceptance or a letting go. Eastern psychology comes in in that way as well, detaching realizing that life is pain, but we don't need to suffer. And we suffer when we make things that we should let go of and accept, but we hold on to them. And sometimes it hurts so much because we're holding on so tightly. And the solution is to just let go and release, but that scares us. We want to control, we want to fix, we want to manage, but instead we need to just let go and release. And I've talked about that on the show where I use the magical, okay. You know, and my favorite example is I don't want a parking ticket. I don't have that money laying around that I just want to throw to the city who's already sucking us dry like vampires. And I come out of the coffee shop where I'm trying to just read and work on myself and develop some things to give back to the world. And there's a freaking parking ticket. That's not okay to me. I don't want that. That will impact me, but it doesn't have to make my day bad. It doesn't need to ruin my morning. And so I come out and I go, okay. And I just take it and I'm like, okay. And I'll pay it. And I move on. I let go, I say, okay, okay, I leave the house and it's hotter than I wanted it to be. <sighs> okay, I just, okay, I could take my hoodie off. Or if it's the opposite, I came out, I thought the sun was gonna be beautiful and I'm wearing a tank top and shorts and it's colder. <sighs> okay, and I put on a hoodie and I go about my day. I accept it, I let it go. I'm not gonna hold on to it. And they'd be in my car being like, this effing weather, I can't believe I got a parking ticket. And I'm holding on to it. And I'm going from what was just pain to now making it suffering. And I'm choosing that suffering by holding on to it when I could just let it go. As always, the caveat is if there's an injustice or someone's being harmed, we don't let it go. We don't say, okay, we step in, we step up, we be loud, we create change. But if something's disappointing or frustrating, 
Again, if it's a disappointment or frustrating like the weather or a parking ticket or spilling coffee on my new white sweater, because yes, that happened, I go, ah, okay. And I just go to the next step and I move on. I take off that sweater, I dab it in uh, some detergent and I wash it and I move on. Cause I'm not gonna turn that little bit of pain and frustration into suffering for the morning or the day or the full hour. I'm not gonna let that live in my body. I leave it behind. And it's something we get more familiar with the more we practice it. So let's take a little break. And when we come back, we'll keep talking about silence and the importance of it and the transformative value it provides. And uh, of course, later we'll be sliding back into those DMs. So if you got a DM for us, Drop it in the DMs on our Level Energy page. Any questions you got, we got answers, topics you want us to cover, or something you want us to drop deeper into, let us know. And as always, you want to check out past episodes of Love Line to binge, post, share, re-listen. That is over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for the show, click on it. Bam, there they all are. Gems galore. Dropping those gems. Uh, but stick around. We'll be back. We're going to keep talking about the importance and power of silence and how it can help heal us and also those around us. So stick around. We'll be back. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q in Odyssey. We'll be back. All right, we are back and we're uh, talking about silence. I, oh, I love the complexity of things that just seem so simple. Uh, gosh, how do we even get here? Well, I'm a, really interested in the concept because culturally, as I was saying in you know, a couple segments ago, we very much... <laughs> Get, you know, we're made anxious around people's silence. We're not really good at just sitting in the moment, sitting with people, sitting with ourselves and soothing ourselves. We are very quick to respond. And if someone else is introspective or a little slower with their processing or sharing, we tend to panic. We rush things. I even see that with people entering therapy. They want to just get to it. And uh, it's like, this is an experience. This is a relationship. We, we move towards changing behavior. It's not like popping a pill, do these three quick, easy steps. But whenever journalists reach out for quotes, they, they're obsessed with that as well. What are the you know three quick, easy steps to ending depression? And it's like, oh, dear God, it doesn't work like that. We're talking about mental health. There's so many layers to it. it, it anything that is resolved with three quick, easy steps either was that simple and could not have been ongoing or historical because those things are not resolved with three quick, easy steps, or it's really creating what we call secondary superficial change. It's very topical, but it's not creating deeper personality shift, characterological shift. It's not uh, creating new developmental milestones being achieved. It's not giving someone new capacities or tools or resources. All of those things take time. Um, you know, if there's something that's been going on since childhood for, you know, 20 years or even just months that isn't resolved in three quick easy steps isn't it fascinating how we see it that way you know i don't always like using these examples but if i use uh, a gym example you can't enter the gym with health goals and say give me three quick easy things i can do i need to bang this out it's like oh dear god we have to look at the food you're consuming your you know sense of self and emotions we have to look at how you see your body we have to look at what goals you have and where they came from we have to look at what your schedule's like and your energy levels and what's possible there's so much to it and i think that ties back to silence again because we don't like stillness we don't like to give things time 
I'm always working with clients on assertion and saying things to people like, I'll have to get back to you about that. I need to sit and think about it. But we want answers now. We want to battle it out. I tell couples, go to bed angry. Don't stay up late because you can't handle coming back to something and saying really horrible things and burning your relationship down. And generally, you don't resolve it. You go to bed even angrier. Learn how to say, we'll come back to this. It's late. We'll come back to this. I don't like how I'm feeling or how I'm talking to you. Let's come back to this. This isn't feeling good. We're not getting anywhere. And it's even a bit hard for someone like me, and I've been trying to practice that, not feeling as though because someone's making a demand in the moment that I have to be ready with a solution or an answer. I can say to people, I'll have to come back to that. I have to think about it. I wanna, I wanna work with that a little bit. But I think we often feel like we have to kind of jump right in, and silence is that important space of reflection. It's that important space of checking in with ourselves. I always try to check in with myself and say, how does that feel to me? Whatever's been said or requested or offered. I told you all my, my rubric is always, how will that impact my mental health? And does that sound fun? Does that sound like something that's gonna make my life better? I'm not a fan of just no pain, no gain and sweating it out. Why? What, who says? Why is that meaningful? All that does is have detrimental impacts on your body and your nervous system and your mind, right? Like, why are we trying to live like that? We should be thinking in terms of life is about quality. Life is about purpose and meaning, right? So silence allows us to come back to that and to connect with that. When we're lost in thought and we're really active, we're not necessarily always living and, and, and you know thinking and feeling from our better selves. So that's what silence is about, that introspection. And, and as always, we're trying to create more space between cue or trigger and our response or reaction. Most of us, something happens, again, a cue or a trigger, something is said, something is done, something is felt, and we go right to reaction, we respond. But there's, there should be, ideally, a space between those two things. It shouldn't be step one right to step two. That's step one and actually step three. Step two is pausing and sitting for a minute with what just was said or done or felt, AKA the cue or the trigger, and saying, huh, how does that feel? What do I think I wanna do about that? What part of myself is wanting to respond? What part of myself do I want to respond? A more grounded, conscious self. Remember, when something happens, it's our unconscious implicit system, our limbic system, that wants to jump in or our more reptilian brain with an answer and a response. And that's rarely ever gonna be the right response. What we need to do is allow our neocortex, our executive functioning, the site of insight, and possibility and having a lot of options of behavior of responses, we have to let that kick in. That takes more time to come online. And sitting for a minute in silence or stillness is what allows us to go into our better judgment. Because think about it, whenever someone responds on the fly, it's usually not the best response. It's a panic response. But if we sit for a minute and say, let me think about how I feel about that, what, what kind of response I wanna have, we're able to realize we have a multitude of choices and we can better think about the impact of those choices. So we wanna give ourselves that time and that space. That again is where you know mental health gets to really kick in. So try to give that to yourself. We shouldn't have to rush into solution. That's where, that, that's where silence is so necessary and so powerful. So uh, we'll talk more about that. We're gonna come back and do some DMs, so stick around for that, and then we're gonna look at where silence impacts us physically in the, in the positive. So stick around, you're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q in Odyssey. We'll be back. All right, y'all, we are back, and now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Let's see what y'all got for us today. Hey, Dr. Chris, I'm noticing that I'm becoming extremely dependent on my partner and it's not healthy. 
I never used to be this way, but now when they leave for work and I'm at home, I feel myself getting sad. If they have to leave for a long time, my thoughts always run wild with, they must be cheating when I know they aren't. Are there any exercises I can do when I'm alone to calm down? Well, number one, uh, dependency is good. We are dependent upon other people. When we're in a primary relationship, we attach if we're in a healthy relationship. And that means we impact each other. We do need other people. We always need other people. Mental health is not individuality, self-reliance. We need to have access to that. But we are dependent upon others, and we always will be. When we're in a healthy relationship, our partner's mood impacts our mood. That happens with anyone we care about. In a secure, healthy relationship, we impact each other's hormone levels, each other's moods. They impact our blood pressure, our breathing, our heart rate. We sleep better when they're with us. That's a sign that you've connected. So don't shame healthy dependence. Dependence is either effective or ineffective. There's no such thing as over-dependence. We seek that fusion and that connection. Healthy adult relationships are a merger and a fusion. I hope and help clients get to a place where they talk about we and us, not me and I. We have enough self already. We need to be more relational. So you being dependent is healthy. The question is, is it effective or ineffective? And it is healthy to feel sad when they leave. I feel sad when my partner leaves. I date backpack style. I want my partner with me all the time as much as possible. We FaceTime, we live together, we text all day long. That's beautiful. There's nothing wrong with that. I think we're too avoidant. But it's ineffective in times where you think they're cheating. You have to do self-talk. Talk yourself through it. That is the only exercise we have access to is tapping into our rationality. When you feel as though you are creating a false narrative, because if this person is someone you trust, then we're gonna do this. If you don't trust them, you need to work on what we're talking about or you need to talk to them about whatever they're doing that isn't worthy of trust. But we need to be aware of the messages in our head. It's called self-talk. We have to say to ourselves, there I am again, taking their absence to mean abandonment. They haven't been abandoning me. They're at work. All is well. You have to say to yourself, I'm creating a fake narrative that they're cheating, but I have no evidence of that. So you have to do the self-talk. Get familiar with it. Also, when we're feeling that dysregulated at their absence, reach out somehow. You don't need to necessarily talk to them, although that's possible. You don't tell them why. You don't ask them to make you feel better, just connecting can make us feel good. Send them a text message as well. Hey babe, thinking about you, hope your day is well. Go get them a gift. It's really powerful how focusing on the other pulls us out of our head. And maybe they will answer. You can say, tell me about your day, but you don't always wanna go to them to reassure you. That's exhausting, we'll burn them out, especially when they haven't done anything. Sometimes we can, other times we have to do that work on our own. So if you really do know from your rational mind that they're not cheating, you have to do that self-talk. And in those times when you're feeling disconnected, find ways to connect. Those are your two tools, self-talk and trying to find ways to connect when feeling disconnected. And as I said, that won't always mean that we get them on the phone or even need to. We just send the messages to connect with them. Or we have to rely on what we call symbolizing, knowing that they're still there even when they're not there. Telling yourself again that absence does not mean abandonment, that they're working. And that's your best bet. And that does work. Do that work. But don't shame dependency. We seek that. That is part of a healthy relationship. We are not in a true adult committed attached relationship. If we have no feelings about their absence, if we have no feelings about their return or presence, that's a bad sign. We want to be happy when we see them and sad when they go. But we manage that. 
And we manage that based on what we do while we're with them and what we do when they're not. So just be a little bit better about that. But all is well. Don't panic. You have to do that self-talk. You have to work. You have to do those regulatory practices. Um, great question, though. Questions, comments, topics you want us to drop deeper into, drop them in the DMs on our Loveland IG page. And as always, past episodes are over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, click on it. You can binge, post, reshare. Um, but we'll be back. We're going to keep talking about silence, the importance of silence psychologically, physically. It's a really important concept and our inability or ability to do it really tells us a lot. So we're going to circle back to that. And then of course, close out the show with some more DMs. So um, stick around for those gems. And uh, as always, I love the vulnerability. So if you got a question, put it in there because your questions help somebody else. They might be wondering the same thing or not, you know, not necessarily feeling as secure to put it out there. So anyway, like I said, we'll be back. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey, y'all. Stick around. Alrighty, we're back and uh, we're going to keep talking about silence, the beauty of silence. I think one of the takeaways I really want you to get from this is not all the interesting ways that, you know, physically silence benefits us, although we're going to talk about that. I want you to take away from it that silence gives us that important space between trigger and reactivity. It gives us that important space between something happening and us just panicking and responding. Silence gives us that space to sit and think for a moment. And that's when our really, you know, our executive function comes online, our judgment. And we're able to say, okay, well, wait a minute. What's going on? What are my options? What kind of impact will those options have? And that is important. And I think we forget about that. And we need to come back to that. So we want to value stillness and silence to actually think. We don't want to go right into action and response. That'll generally always let us down to be the wrong choice. Because we're going to rely on old behavior, behavior born out of fear. Because what we really need to do is get to the core primary emotion, which is always very soft and vulnerable, not the secondary emotion, which is usually reactivity based and, you know, defensive. And we're trying to not be defensive. You know, my favorite example is if I'm walking down the street and someone almost hits me with their car, what you'll generally see is that person get angry. And then the driver is responding to this angry person. And then they, they move on from that anger. But what's the real honest experience? Well, the real honest experience is always going to be the most vulnerable. When in doubt, go to the vulnerable experience. That's the primary. Anger and violence and frustration are secondary. Number two, we want to go to the number one. And in that example, the honest response would be, you scared me. I'm scared. I almost got hit by a car. The honest, healthy response is fear. That was scary. It's a softness. I almost died. You almost hit me. My life flashed before my eyes. I'm scared. And if you say that to the driver, like, oh my God, that was really scary. Guess what their response is? Oh my God, are you okay? I didn't mean to do that. How can I help you? They meet us there. But if we go to the second emotion and we're afraid of being vulnerable, we're not willing to just say that was really scary. Oh, we go to anger because anger makes us feel empowered. And now we're in a battle. And what does that solve? There should be no anger in that. No one should be mad. The person did not mean and did not intend to try to hit you. Intent matters, but so does impact. But they didn't hit you, so they didn't harm you. They scared you. Lead with that. Let that person then, and this is where this is good for marital relational stuff, because we do this with our loved ones. You know, something happens, they say or do something, and it scares us. We feel like we lost them. We feel like we were abandoned. We felt rejected. And we go to anger. Anger is not a primary emotion most of the time. It's a secondary response, and we're not going to the honest first response, which is vulnerable and soft. I thought I left. I thought I lost you. That really shamed me. 
That made me feel rejected. Wow, I felt really lonely. Wow, you really disappointed me. You let me down. You made me feel bad. Those are soft. It's That's honest. And if we bring that honest feeling and communication to our partner, they can honestly help meet that need. But if you go to anger and violence and frustration, they're going to only respond to that. And our needs will not get met. And it makes things worse. But if we can say to our partner or a friend who loves us, hey, that really scared me, or I really felt rejected, or I really felt ignored, or I felt really, you know, whatever it is, that soft feeling, they can be like, oh my God, I'm sorry. And they'll usually, healthy people, go into accountability and apology and healing. And then we move on and we're better for it. And if they don't go that route, well, then they're maybe not a safe person to be with, but we can only assess that if we're doing our part first. Because the emotion we bring in is the emotion they respond to. Sure, in an ideal world, this other is doing the work as well, and maybe they're able to be better than we were, and they'll bring us back to that place and say, I, I, I bet I scared you, are you okay? That must have been very scary, and they'll try to bring us back to that place, but rarely are people able to do that. They don't realize that's even you know a possible thing, and we all operate the secondary emotions, and then we're off and running. Always try to come back to the honest primary, which is again, as I said, usually soft. It's a soft, vulnerable feeling, but we're afraid of being vulnerable. As a, as a collective world and society, most of us have not been raised in environments where it's acceptable to operate from emotion. Absolutely not at work. Absolutely not really what we're gonna do around strangers. Absolutely what we're not gonna feel confident doing in public. And that's why I'm always saying things like, I wanna cry more in public. I wanna cry more in front of people. I want men to cry more. I want men to go to the primary softer emotions. Most men only know the secondary, not honest, reactive emotions of anger and violence. We wanna come back down to that softness. And parents, y'all really need to do that. That is your job as a parent, to teach your kids skills. And you have to be able to do it to teach them to be able to do it. And as I said, I often see y'all not able to do it. And it's understandable why the kids can't. But you're getting mad at them for not being able to do what you aren't able or willing to do. So do that work. It's going to help our relationships. It's going to help our families. It's also how we're part of creating wider macro level change. Doing this with everyone. Normalizing this. Helping bring people back to that. I've done it at coffee shops. I accidentally... I I had a, um, an empty coffee thing in my hand with a few drops and I oddly did a weird trip and my cup kind of like threw the coffee down towards the ground and it splashed on someone's shoes. It was very little. And I didn't mean it. I wasn't like, yeah, I'm gonna get this, this mofo, watch this, right? And I spilled it and of course he goes to anger. And then my first thought is like, I'm being attacked. It doesn't matter who started it. I, I go into self-preservation mode. Someone angry is coming at me. But I had to be ahead of it, and I had to catch myself. And I said, oh, I feel scared. I bet he felt scared. And I said, I'm really sorry. And I tried to go to softness, and it softened him immediately. And he's like, I get it, bro. I know you didn't mean it. And I was like, here, let me get a napkin for your shoe. Like, I'm sorry. I, I had to bring the softness, and he luckily met me there. But if I responded from defensiveness in his anger, we were off and running. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll come back, keep talking about this. Listen to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q in Odyssey. We'll be back. All right, we're back and we're uh, still talking about silence and the beautiful motivating force that it can be and the health benefits. We're going to kind of itemize that. But I didn't get to that yet because I don't think that's actually the most important part. I know that we all love to know, well, how does that help me physically? We want to just get to the nuts and bolts. But I think we just need to understand the experience of it and, and the beauty of it and how it's tied to mental health. It's tied to mental health because it's in silence, time itself that we expand our window of tolerance for sitting in all the decision-making we need to make when we're not just living in reactivity and secondary emotions and just going right to anger and frustration. And as they say in the field, acting it out. 
we have to digest first and sit with. And that's why I love people that say things like, let me sit with it. Let me meditate on that. Let me circle back and let you know I'm trying to do more of that. I'm trying to make, and I have made the rule for myself, and it's been working very well over the years, and I offer this to a lot of clients. I'll say to them, um, start practicing always taking space. Get in the habit of always saying, I'll get back to you. Let me think about that. Whenever anything profound is requested or asked of you or said or done, we want to stop being so reactive. And I think we culturally have set it up so that we feel like we have to always have the immediate answer to be a good parent, a good therapist, to be seen as smart or competent or professional. But I actually think it's healthier when people say, I don't know, let me think about it. Or now's not a great time. Let me process that more. I don't really have an answer for you. I'll come back to it. We need to give ourselves that space and not just go right from question or cue or trigger right into reactivity and act it out? What if we sat with it first? I'm trying to do more of that. I've been doing that over the years. It's been helpful. Now, what does that look like though in behavioral simple terms? Well, here it goes. Number one, no, and this is mind boggling or not mind boggling. It's very mind blowing to people when I tell them this text message. I want y'all to hear this. Text messages are to say, thinking about you, hope you're well, um, running late. I'll be there in five minutes. Saw this thing and thought of you, here's a snapshot. Text messages should not be the vehicle for an important conversation, especially not one with important people around important, difficult topics. We should, you know how you see someone at the gym, the coffee shop on the street, and they are, their fingers are moving fast and furious. And you can tell that they're in reactivity and look at them. You know that nothing they're saying or doing is pro relationship. None of it's rooted in mental health. You can tell they're acting out. You can tell they're triggered. You can tell that they're not speaking from their best. We should not be texting. Anything serious, I tell my clients to say their family members, I'm not willing to discuss this over text. Give me a call if you want to talk this out. Because texting becomes the dumping ground for our unprocessed, undigested emotions and thoughts. We vomit on people and we harm them and we harm ourselves and we harm the relationship. So rule number one, no more, no more drama or BS on texting. It's for quick, easy conversations, checking in, keeping up with. But if someone wants to talk about, are we having another child? Or you really let me down last night or I'm upset at you. You need to get on the phone. You pick it up and you call the person and you deal with it like an adult. That is rule number one. Number two, we don't text or send emails when we're activated, when we're activated. When we're frustrated, when we're angry, we don't. We take time and we breathe. It's called regulating. Go regulate, calm down. We don't send messages to other people unless we're calm, period, end of story. And if that takes an hour, it takes an hour. If it takes a day, you get back to them in a day. I can't tell you how much that has saved me because when I look back at the text messages or the emails that I just fired off while triggered or activated or angry, I never felt good about it afterwards. Never. That is not when the best of us is being shown. That's not when we're living from our best. And you damage people and relationships. Constantly being given new examples of that. Clients telling me, let me read you the text I sent or the email. And I always say, number one, that should have been done over the phone or face-to-face. And number two, you sent that when you were activated. You were in your reptilian brain, which tells us eat it, have sex with it, or kill it. And you were trying to kill them with your words. And a lot of shame and guilt comes after it. Or there should be more shame and guilt because we're doing horrendous things and saying horrendous things. So that's part of this, going into silence, introspection, calming down, soothing ourselves, chilling out, really saying to ourselves, what's my goal here? What am I trying to do? Eviscerate this person and our relationship over the fact that they forgot my birthday? Like, oh wow, settle down, soothe yourself, digest. Bring people your processed, digested thoughts and feelings, not your hair trigger 
on the fly, unthought out thoughts and feelings. That is the mark of an adult or someone who's living in mental health. So really pay attention to that. So that's the barriers. We don't send emails or text messages when we're activated. We also don't have email or text conversations about things that are important. You honor and respect the other person by getting on the phone. It also falls under the other thing I do. I won't continue talking to someone if they pick up their phone. I always say, I'll wait till you're done. Because you can't hear me while you're texting. You can't do both. You, you know, somebody's like, oh, I can still hear you. No, you can't. No, you can't. You cannot focus on two things at one time. Not 100%. Nope. Split divided attention is poor attention to both things you're looking at or thinking about. So you also bring that back in. We need to give the respect that relationships and people deserve, but we tend to undermine that by picking up our phone, texting important things, which is very disrespectful, or sending off harsh messages when we're not at our best. And we need to start respecting each other more. It's an, it's an ethic of care, community building, but it's also mental health. So um, let's start talking about some of the physical pieces. So silence. What does that help us with? It lowers our blood pressure. But I just kind of helped you understand why, because it's introspective. We're soothing ourselves. It's an act of self-care. Helps us focus more. Well, that makes sense. We can target our thoughts. We can really ask ourselves, what is my goal here? What am I trying to do here? When in doubt, come back to the mission statement. What's your goal in this moment? What are you trying to do? Calms our racing thoughts, and that's very important. Because in silence, it usually is more about our breath. And that's why I think silence is important. It's usually actually more about it being tied to our breath. We're being left with our true feelings, no more stimuli, no more cues, no more triggers. But we're able to sit with our breathing and slow ourselves down because these triggering forces aren't around us. It's hard to settle down when we're amongst our triggers, though that is the goal of true adulthood or mental health is being able to be in the world and be calm. That's why we meditate because of what it affords us in those moments, but also we go off on these spiritual trainings to be able to come back to the world and be present while in it. All right, we're gonna take a little break and we're gonna finish this off, so stick around. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. All right, we're back and we're just kind of finishing up our discussion about silence. Who knew so much could be wrapped up into something that seems so small? But our ability to go into silence is our ability to regulate ourselves, is our ability to actually be thoughtful and respect and care for others and the relationships we have with them. And we're not doing that if we're prioritizing just getting it out, telling it like it is, because that's what happens when we get upset, we get frustrated, we get angry, we just want to evacuate, we want to get it out. But we harm people in doing so. And we have to work, learn how to do is settle ourselves down, self-regulation. We're no longer punching pillows, punching walls. That trains you to need to act out that anger. And we're trying to walk away from that. We're not trying to act it out more. We're trying to learn how to contain it and digest it and go down to the primary emotion, which is always those softer emotions. That's the more honest experience. I, I felt lonely. I felt let down. I felt frustrated. I felt like I lost you. I felt disconnected. I felt sad. I felt scared. I felt anxious. Go into those softer emotions and living and leading from those. If you're activated and you're feeling an amped up emotion, I'm angry, I'm pissed, I'm, those are secondary. Go down to the soft. What is the core experience of that? What do you think is really happening in that moment? But we're talking about how silence also is the physical impacts that are positive, lowering your blood pressure, improving concentration and focus, soothing and calming our racing thoughts. Part of that's the breath that's in there too. Um, silence helps stim stimulate brain growth, brain growth, right? I said that right? <laughs> Reduces cortisol, stress, stimulates creativity. That's a big part. People that are creatives, you have to get away from things that are distracting and triggering and come back to self. Also encourages mindfulness, 
I think the blood pressure part's huge. You know, blood pressure is tied to heart disease, which is number one killer in the States and I think also around the world, so that's huge. Um, but I think it's also a spiritual practice because it's letting go instead of holding on. It's accepting and saying, all right, wasn't what I want, it wasn't ideal, but I accept that. So I think silence is acceptance. Silence is letting go because it hurts and it's amplified when we're holding on and we need to just release. It's also being more relational, less self-obsessed, just vomiting out emotions, texting off your first thought, not caring about how you're impacting others. That's self-centeredness, that's narcissism. You know, telling it like it is, self-centeredness, narcissism. But when we actually say, hey, what's the impact what I'm about to say or do on this other person? And is it relational? Does it keep them close to me? Does it push us forward or does it end our relationship, right? That's part of that mental health piece, but that's where it becomes like very much a spiritual practice. But our poor nervous systems, we have enough going on in the world that throws us off and stresses us out and dysregulates us and keeps us scared and in a stress state. We want to do whatever we can to counter that. And that's going to be silence and coming back to our breath. And removing all these technologies that allow us to amplify that or act that out, right? Like the emails and the text messages. Breathe, take time away. Commit to only sending very thoughtful, regulated, digested messages to other people. There's no valor and there's no strength. Strength is in the ability to regulate yourself. Strength is in you living from your ethics and your value system. There's no strength in being a bully or vomiting undigested, unprocessed emotion on people, but somehow we've done that. We think people that are just telling it like it is are strong and empowered. No, they're dangerous. They're bullies. They're unhealthy. They need healing. They're self-centered. They only care about themselves and evacuating these feelings, right? So it's all in there. It's a basis of mental health. So really work on that. We wanna get better about that culturally, but also individually. Who knew, like I said, that the concept of silence was such a big thing and had such wide reaching impacts. But if we all did this practice and we all kind of slowed down and settled down, we would be doing a lot better culturally. We wouldn't see a lot of things that are happening because that's what things like Black Lives Matter are requesting of us. That's what gay pride and trans rights and women's reproductive rights, that's what those movements are trying to do is really settle us down and bring us back to the fact that people are being harmed and we're so caught up in consuming things and, and producing and all these things that we've really drifted away from an ethic of care for each other. And that's what we have to come back to. How can we care more for each other? And I think we've gotten really familiar with the opposite. I, I think of it all the time with you know people's experiences on dating apps and hookup apps. Such poor behavior. And people making it okay by saying, it's just an app, don't take it seriously. Oh my God, take it seriously. You're, it's human beings in, interacting with each other that are lonely, that are trying to build relationship and community and sexuality. And that shouldn't be something that leads to harm. So if you're one of those people where you think it's not that deep, it doesn't matter, and there's no accountability, you should take a break from the apps because you're hurting people. People are being hurt. We want to step in with a little bit more care and awareness of how we impact those around us. As I always say on the show, that's one of the biggest benchmarks of mental health is that awareness that we're all relational, we're all connected, and we have to have care for each other. But we kind of have normalized not needing to do that and just talking about what my responsibility is. Your responsibility is everything. Your responsibility is looking out for everyone around you. More of that. We have to kind of pierce that self-centered bubble. And I think silence brings us back to that. That's what I do every day. I start my morning sitting in silence, asking myself how I'm doing, checking in with myself before you jump, you know, hit the ground running into this busy, busy, chaotic world that we're living in. Anywho, coming up next, though, 
Y'all know the drill. It's going to be those DMs. We're going to slide into the DMs. So uh, if you got a DM for us, any questions you want answered, topics you want covered, drop them in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Otherwise, head on over to wearechannelq.com. That's where uh, all the past episodes are kept. Scroll down, click on the name of the show. Bam, there they are. It can binge, post, share, re-listen. Uh, but yeah, like I said, coming back to answer those questions, dropping some gems. So uh, stick around. We'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. All right, y'all, we are back, and now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Um, all right, let's see. This one says, uh, hey, Dr. Chris, I'm noticing that I'm becoming extra. Oh, we already did that one. Sorry. My bad. Human moment. Human moment. Hey, Dr. Chris and Loveline. My mom and dad have an awful relationship. Ooh but they refuse to get a divorce or even separate. See, sadly, that happens to a lot of people. A lot of people think that um, it's healthy to stay together and we're gonna make this marriage work, but yet do nothing to work on it. And sometimes a sign of success is realizing when we can't do this anymore, it's not working and leaving. We have to stop pathologizing or shaming divorce or separation. We, we need more of it. There's a lot of relationships that are like this. We just somehow think it's better to be together than not, even though we make each other miserable and we're selling ourselves out. We're missing out on the love and sex and everything else that relationships can provide because we want to what? Just do business as usual, not step into the fear of leaving or have to go through the social milestones of telling people. It's part of it. We have to normalize that. When someone says we got divorced, it shouldn't always be, I'm sorry. Sometimes it's great. Congrats. I always say to people, tell me what that means because I don't know. Sometimes it's a good thing. It's a good sign to leave things that aren't working because children are impacted powerfully. You're not able to show up at your best when you're dealing with something that toxic. So anyway, mom and dad have an awful relationship and they refuse to get a divorce or separate. I'm sorry to hear that. People make that decision. Sometimes they'll ride that misery out to the end of the day. It's a bummer. Uh, but back to the rest of your question, you said, I know it's because of the money. Ah, oh, there it is. Financial insecurity. That's why I always tell everyone. Try to maintain your career in some financial security so that you won't be stuck in something you don't want to be a part of. Um, you said, I've heard things on both sides that I don't think a parent should ever tell their daughter. And to be honest, it really makes me angry. I know I need to set boundaries at them, but my mom is dependent on me for her happiness. And my dad really doesn't care anymore about anything. Is this even a conversation I can have with them or do I need to just distance myself? I think you need to set the boundary. You should tell them both your thoughts about each other are none of my business. It's not appropriate to tell me your thoughts about each other. That is your marriage and that's between the two of you. 
And everything, we always want to have what we call the one-to-one relationship, which means if you have something to say to someone, you go tell them directly. And if you have thoughts and feelings about someone, you tell them. But what people tend to do is what your parents are doing, which is triangulation. They want to pull you in and talk about the other to you and talk to the other through you. You have to pull yourself out of that. If you have something to say to dad, mom, you go tell him. Dad, if you have something mom needs to know, you tell her. I'm no longer interested in being the go-between, and it is none of my business how you feel about the other. Set that boundary. And when they start to tell you, say, I'm going to stop you. It sounds like you're, st- you're about to talk about dad or mom, I'm going to stop you. Or dad, I'm going to stop you. It sounds like you're about to talk to mom. I don't, I'm not interested. That is not my business. You go tell her. Otherwise, we, we talk about us. Your relationship to your mom should be about you and her. Only. Your relationship to your dad should be about you and him. Only. Hold and set that boundary. People are flexible. They are redirectable. They're, they're leaking out all over the place. And as parents, be better than that. Don't pull your child into that. Your child should not be a sounding board for all your thoughts and feelings about the other parent. Let them have their own experience and relationship with that parent. You don't need to sour it or make it toxic because that says more about you, not about the other parent that you're talking smack about. It says everything about you, that you have poor boundaries, poor resolution skills, don't know how to deal with your hurt or disappointment, and you don't know how to leave something that's not working anymore. Take that and go to therapy with that. Don't put that on your child. Your child does not need to know your thoughts and feelings about their parent. That is for them to decide based on their own experience and you're tainting that and shame on you. Be better than that. If you want to stay in a miserable marriage, that's on you, but don't pull your child into that and don't try to harm their relationship to the other parent. There's no valor or glory of mental health in staying in toxic or non-working relationships. Grow up and get out. And if there's reasons you can't because of money, then you, you deal with that personally on your own. You don't take your, pull your child into that. And yes, it's scary to maybe step back into the working world and get our needs met, but that is something that we all need to do at times. But that is not something your child's responsible for. But to the author of this question, set those boundaries, have a solo relationship with each of them. There's no reason to cut either of them out, but you set and hold that boundary. And sadly, whoever honors that or doesn't is showing you their health and you'll deal with that appropriately, you know, but I'm sorry that you're getting pulled in. That should not have to be the case. That y'all is our show. If you got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveland NG page. Questions, topics you want covered, things you want us to drop deep, deeper into. We're always here to hear that. Let us know. Past episodes are over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for the show and click on it. Oh, be kind with yourselves. Be kind with, those, be kind with those around you. Take notice of how you're impacting those around you. It matters. More kindness, more softness, more care. All right, y'all. Thanks for hanging out. And you enjoy the rest of your night. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Hey.